Well, if you have your Bible, please turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. All glory be to Christ. Do you know something of that glory? And uh, it's an appropriate hymn for the message that I have this evening. I've entitled this message, Behold the Glory of Christ, or Behold the Glory of God in the Face of Christ. Let us pray before we begin. Our Father and our God, we are thankful and grateful for this wonderful opportunity that you have given to us to be under this tent and to worship you, to pray and to hear your word. I do ask that you would help us now as we come before your word. I do pray that you would allow our conscience to be captive to the truth that is proclaimed this evening. I pray, O oh Lord, that all of us today would have a spiritual sight of Christ as we look into your word. This is the greatest need of our time, to have a spiritual sight of Christ, to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. So I ask that you would please take away the blinders, take away the veil that is over our eyes, and help us see the glory of God in the face of Christ this evening. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, as you find yourself in this chapter, perhaps as I read it earlier, you were perhaps a little bit confused. Um, 2 Corinthians can be confusing at times, but we find ourselves in a context in 2 Corinthians where Paul is being under attack. It's a very polemical and hostile context as the Apostle Paul is responding to attacks on his character, his ministry, and also his apostleship. Uh, the hostility and the oppositions were coming from false teachers, from the men in Corinthians whom he labels as deceitful workmen, false apostles who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, but they were apostles of Satan instead. And so these apostles, these false apostles had crept in into the church in Corinth and they were seeking to set the heart of the people away from the Apostle Paul, set his heart against, the, set their heart against the Apostle Paul. And uh, in order to do that, in order to set their heart against Paul, they sought to damage his reputation by making false claims about him. Perhaps you've, you're one of those people who have had false claims made about you. And so that was happening to Paul. And one of those false claims was that Paul was a double-minded man. That's what they said, that Paul was a double-minded man. He would say yes on one hand, and then he would say no on the other hand. He was unstable in all of his ways. So in order for Paul to counter this accusation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.17, you can turn there if you want, he says, do I purpose or plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes and yes and no and no. But as God is true, but as God is my witness, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yea and nay, nay, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yea 
in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So Paul says, I am not a double-minded man. I am not unstable. Similarly, they sought to discredit the credibility of the Apostle Paul. They were trying to show that he is incompetent. He is ineffective in his ministry. And he has so many physical weaknesses. How on earth was this man called by God? They were likely saying to the Corinthians, have you seen Paul's ministry? I mean, it's fruitless. It's ineffective. And this man is beset with weakness. And he gets persecuted all the time. How can he be called of God? How can he be an apostle of Christ? But you know, Paul knows the benefit of weakness. Which is why he would say later on, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. And with regards to his ineffectiveness that they claim, in regards to his fruitlessness, Paul says, Now thanks be to God, which always causes us as apostles to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of the knowledge of Christ in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. In other words, you might say that I am being ineffective in the ministry. You might say that I am fruitless. But hear this, in Christ, as I've been going around, there's been triumph, there's been victory in the ministry. This tends to happen very often in churches where you have false teachers who come in and they look around and they'll claim that you are probably not called by God because we cannot see change. We cannot see the effectiveness of your ministry. And so they ask Paul, Paul, show us some credentials, show us some commendation in order to validate your ministry. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 1, as I read earlier, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistle of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't need a letter of commendation. I don't need to commend myself to these apostles, these false apostles, because you Corinthians, because of your changed hearts, because you've been saved, because the message that I proclaim to you changed your heart and has transformed you. As a result, you are my letter of commendation. It's like someone coming to Pastor Moore and saying, Show me evidence that your ministry is valid. And Pastor Bowling could say, well, look at changed people in my congregation. And Paul is not saying that to boast about himself. He's not saying that to boast about himself. And which is something that they would uh, claim later on. In fact, Paul sees defending himself as foolishness because he has to boast, right? He has to boast about his works. And he doesn't like to do that. And so he says, And such trust we have through Christ toward God, 
Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. I am not sufficient in myself, Paul says. All the triumph and all the works that has been done, it's not because of me. It's because my sufficiency is in Christ. And, and here's a key verse, God has made us able ministers of the New Testament or the New Covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. The reason why I have so much confidence and trust in what has been achieved is not because of my ability, it is not because of my intellect, it is because of Christ. It is because of God who has called me into this ministry and has made me an able minister of the new covenant. Now, that's the context of 2 Corinthians. They're attacking the Apostle Paul, and Paul is responding to these attacks. And from this, Paul transitions. And that's what I want to show you this evening. He transitioned into teaching the people about the new covenant in contrast to the old covenant from verse 7 onwards. Against the backdrop of the hostility and the, op and the oppositions, Paul now is going to give them a lesson with regards to the new covenant. And this is very important for the Apostle Paul because those false teachers had come into the church and they have been teaching false doctrine. They have been leading the people astray. They have been hindering the pure devotion that the people have with Christ. And so Paul has to respond as every faithful minister would do. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want us to see the superior glory of the new covenant in contrast to the old. I also want us to see the boldness that comes from the superior glory of the new covenant and the transformative effect of the superior glory of the new covenant. As we go through that, we're going to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know, one of the reasons why I, I must preach on this, not really because I want to, I believe I must preach on this is because the, the greatest need in the church today is a beholding of the glory of Christ. A gazing upon the glory of Christ. A looking intently into the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the greatest need of the church today. It's like the bride of Christ is not seeing the bridegroom. And as a result of the bride not seeing the bridegroom, she struggles. And that's why we must get back to the beholding of the glory of Christ, set the glory of Christ before the face of God's people for our own good. But we need to take away certain impediments that are in the way. And one of them is the old covenant. Look in verse 7 with me of Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says, but if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, 
for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Let's pause there for a moment. Paul here in this text, in this portion we've just read, gives a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now you might think, is that really important? It is absolutely important. It is critical for you to understand that. Remember, the old covenant was given by Moses. It was given by God to Moses, sorry, to his people. Sometimes this covenant is called the Mosaic Law. You remember that, the Mosaic Law. And the purpose of this covenant, which contained laws and stipulations, was to regulate the lives of the people of Israel, to direct how they are to approach God in worship, and thereby witnessing to the nation, showing to the nation what a nation under God looks like. They were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's what they were supposed to be. However, they misused the law of God and used it in order to try to justify themselves in the sight of God. They were trying to justify themselves by the works of the law. And the law was never designed to justify people to make them holy in the sight of God. Instead, the law was designed to show people their sin. This is why Paul says in, this is why Paul says that it is a ministration of death in our text. Do you see that in the text? It's a ministration of death. The old covenant, it is a ministry of death. It is a ministry of condemnation. It is a ministry that will fade away. Why? Because when you look at the law of God, it shows you your sin. Am I correct? It shows you your sin. That's what it does. The old covenant kills because it brings knowledge of sin and condemnation. When you look at the perfect law of God, which reflects the holiness of God, it condemns you. It condemns you. That's why Paul says, had it not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Just a quick application. Maybe you're not a Christian today, but here's what the scripture says. The law of God is written in your heart, which means your conscience tells you that you have sinned against a holy and righteous God. Therefore, you're condemned in the sight of God. That's what the law does to you. You have fallen short of God's glory. Your conscience tells you, guilty, guilty, guilty. Eternal death is your rightful, is the rightful consequence thereof. But in Christ, we know that our sins can be forgiven and we can have eternal life. So this old covenant is a ministry of death. Not only that, it is a ministry of condemnation. What does that mean? It is a ministry that does not provide righteousness. 
It does not give you the righteousness that you and I need in order to stand righteous in the sight of God. We need righteousness in order to stand before God, but where do we get this righteousness? Do we keep the law? By works of the law? By no means. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no reason. Paul says, you need righteousness that comes from Christ and that is accessible by faith. So the old covenant does not contain a righteousness in order to make you stand righteous in God's sight. We need that from Christ. And furthermore, the old covenant is temporary. It will fade away. It is done away, the scripture says. And we know that it was done away because Christ came. And the scripture says, so then when the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might justify by faith. So now you see the old covenant brings death. It brings condemnation and one day it will fade away and it has faded away because of Christ. Now you say, but what is the point of all of that? The point that Paul is making is this, that this old covenant, despite the fact that it is a ministry of death, despite the fact that it is a ministry of condemnation, despite the fact that it shows you your sin, your unrighteousness before a holy God, despite these things, yet this old covenant came with much glory. How come? Remember in the book of Exodus chapter 34, when the law came with Moses, the children of Israel had broken the covenant that God made with them at Sinai. They made a golden calf and worshipped it. And God was angry at them and threatened to kill them. But Moses, he broke the table. He broke the, the, uh, the tablets of stone, symbolizing that this relationship is now broken. But eventually Moses goes to God up the mountain to intercede on behalf of the people. 40 days and 40 nights, he is there in the glorious presence of God. And then he goes down the mountain with the tablets in his hands, the tablets of stone. And he came with such glory that his face was shining and the people of Israel were scared. And Paul is saying to us, this old covenant came with such glory that Moses' face was shining. It was shining. And that's the old covenant. It's amazing when you read the Old Testament, when God's people, they see the glory of God, they are fearful, right? Think of Isaiah. There, Isaiah, in the days that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He saw the glorious God. And what happened to Isaiah when he saw the glory of God? Woe is me. Woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips dwelling amongst the people with unclean lips. The same thing happened to the people of Israel when they saw Moses' face reflecting the glory of God. They saw their sin. They were fearful. And Moses had to put a veil over his face. Similarly, Ezekiel, when he saw the glory of God, the scripture says that he fell on his face. Fell on his face. So the, this old covenant came 
with such glory. But it's the old covenant. We are not under the old covenant anymore. We're under the new covenant. And so Paul is saying to us in this text, guys, Corinthians, since the old covenant, which is a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation, a ministry that fades away, since this covenant came with such glory, how much more the new covenant? How much more the new covenant? That's why the new covenant is a superior in glory. It's superior in glory. It is a ministry of righteousness, a ministry of the Spirit, a ministry that comes from Christ through His death. Hence why it is a covenant of a greater glory. You say, you say, how is it a, how is it a greater glory? Why is the new covenant superior in glory? This new covenant gives you forgiveness of sin on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ. If you're a Christian today, you know that. The new covenant is of superior glory because it gives you a, a perfect spotless righteousness as we just sang earlier by faith in the Son of God. It justifies you on the basis of the work of Christ. It gives you eternal life. It seals you with the Holy Spirit. It gives you the privilege of being an adopted son and daughter of God. It gives you the privilege of having an intimate relationship with God. It gives you 24-7 access to the throne room of God. And not just that, you have all the spiritual blessings in Christ under the new covenant. More than that, you have an inheritance, Peter says, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's what you and I have under this new covenant. We have, we are a privileged people. Let's put it this way. So behold the superior glory of the new covenant. Behold the superior glory of the new covenant. If you're not a Christian today, if you're an unbeliever today, look to Christ. In Christ, you have access to this new covenant and all the benefits that comes with it. And so that, that's what Paul is showing to us in the verses we've just read. He shows us the superior glory of the new covenant in contrast to the old covenant. And that's what you must have in your mind. Secondly, we see the boldness that comes from the superior glory of the new covenant. That's what we read in our text in verse 11. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remain is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. We'll wait there for a moment. Because, Paul is saying, because of the superior glory of the new covenant, because of the superior glory of the ministry of righteousness of the Spirit, because of that, I, Paul, have boldness and courage to proclaim this message. How can I keep silent? 
The word there in the Greek, plainness of speech, that word means confident in speech, conviction, boldness, unashamedly proclaiming. And we know Paul was a bold man. Why was he a bold minister? Why was he a bold apostle of Jesus Christ? He was because he understood of the superior glory of the new covenant. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The superior glory of the new covenant emboldens the preacher to proclaim the message unashamedly. That's why we have to preach the gospel. That's why we have to preach the message in light of how this new covenant is superior in glory, in light of what this message, this new covenant offers to the, to the unbeliever. We have to preach it boldly wherever we go. Why do we go on the street and preach the gospel to lost souls? We want them to have the benefits of the new covenant. We are telling them, look, you keep trying to get to heaven by yourself. You're, you're like trying to, to climb to heaven on the rope made of sand, George Whitfield said. The law condemns you. But look to the superior glory of the new covenant. This one, it is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who came and died on your behalf. We have this privilege, the privilege of being under the new covenant. Do you realize that is the question? No, unfortunately, many Christians do not realize that. We do not understand the privilege of being under the new covenant. Would you like to live under the old covenant? I don't think so. I don't think you would want to be offering sacrifice, sacrificing animals and sacrificing every single day. But under the new covenant, one sacrifice has been made and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you are privileged to be under the new covenant. Remember that. Remember that. Unlike Moses, Paul had boldness to preach this. Paul had the boldness to proclaim this new covenant message. But Moses did not. Moses did not have that confidence. And that's what the text says. That's what the text says. It says, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. You see, Moses did not have that boldness that Paul had. Why? Because, because the old covenant was going to fade away. It was going to fade away. And so Paul put a veil over his head, not just because the people would be scared, but also to show to the people that glory is going to fade away. The old covenant glory is going to fade away because there is a greater covenant coming. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, till today, as our scripture says, until today, there are so many Jews who still do not want to look to the new covenant. They still want to look at the old. 
And that's so many Christians, so many non-Christians as well. Still looking to the law. Still think that they can attain a righteousness in the sight of God. A righteousness which God calls is filthy in his sight. And Paul says they're blinded. They're blinded. They cannot see. That's why they cannot see. And that's why we need to go and tell them, look, there is a new covenant now. You don't need to try and earn your way to heaven. You don't need to try and, and work your way up to heaven. You don't need to go about doing the works of the law in order to enter the presence of God. You don't need that anymore because Christ came and has given us access. And maybe that's you today. You know about what Christ has done. You know about the glory of Christ. You've heard about Christ. You've heard about his sacrifice on the cross on your behalf. You've heard about his perfect and righteous life. You've heard that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You've heard that he put upon himself your sins and he endured the physical and mental effects of your sin and ultimately the condemnation of your sin upon him. He endured the wrath of God on your behalf and you're still looking to the law? Why? Why still try to earn your way? Why still trying to establish a righteousness in God's sight? You know, a lot of Christians today, we tend to do that and we don't know it. We're trying to please God with our Bible reading. Trying to please God with the Christian things we do. Because we think that it will make God happy about us. And the reason why we do that is because we don't understand that in the new covenant, that in the new covenant, on the basis of the work of Christ alone, we are justified. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. It's finished. So all your Bible reading and all your praying is not going to earn. It's not going to earn you God's love. His love was already shown to you. In fact, in fact, he loved you before you haven't even existed. Unfortunately, that's what we see today. And, and that's why we stumble in our Christian life. We do all these works trying to earn favor with God. When Christ has done the work, He's done it. It is finished. So stamp that in your mind. It is finished. It's done. Next we see, so far you've seen the superior glory of the new covenant in contrast to the old. Also, the boldness that comes as a result of this superior glory of the new covenant. And you've also seen that there are many, especially those, the Jews today, they still have a veil upon their, on their face. They are not seeing, they don't want to see the new covenant. But our scripture says, but when one turns to the Lord, let's read it. In verse 16, 
Nevertheless, when it, better translated, when one, nevertheless, when one shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Do you want to see the glory of Christ? Do you want to see the glory of God in the face of Christ in the new covenant? Turn to the Lord. Turn away from your law keeping. Turn away from the works of the Lord, of the law, which will not justify you. Turn away from that. Turn to the Lord instead, because in the Lord, there is freedom. There is liberty. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When you turn to the Lord, there is liberty. The burden is gone. You're free. You're free from the burden of the law. You're free from that. So turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Him. Turn away from your self-righteousness. You can't do it. Many Christians here today will tell you that they can't do it because they tried. They tried many times. You can't do it. You can't do it. But now we look at the transformative effect of the superior glory of the new covenant. And we come to this verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In light of the superior glory of this new covenant, in light of the fact that you and I are under this new covenant, which gives us life, which gives us eternal life, Paul says, but we all, not just Moses, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Remember Moses, when he went into the presence of God, when he went into on that mountain in the presence of God, he lifted, lifted up his veil. Remember that? And now Paul is saying, we all, we can now, under the superior glory of the new covenant, we can now go into the presence of God, lift up that veil, and behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. We can now behold the glory of Christ. Do you behold the glory of Christ? I don't think we do. You know, when we ask Christians, you know, why did God save you? You know, you will get the answer to, to save me from, from death, from damnation, to give me eternal life and, and so on and so forth. These are, it's a true answer. It's true that Christ saves you from the penalty of sin, but you never hear this. God saved me so I might behold his glory. You don't hear that. You don't hear that. God saved me so that I might behold his glory in the face of Christ. That I might behold the glory of his deity. The one who existed eternally. No beginning. No end. The one who is infinite. Omnipotent. All powerful. He is omnipresent. There is no space in the universe where God is not present. 
Behold the glory of the God who saved you. Behold his sovereignty. He who rules over all things, over everything. Behold the glory of his love for his father. Do you know that? Christ loved the father. Behold the glory of Christ's love for his father. He says that the world may know I love the father. Behold the glory of his incarnation. That God would condescend to our level. Divine condescension. Come to our level. Take on flesh. Take on humanity. That is glorious. Behold the glory of his humility. That he would not count him being God as, as something to be grasped. But he would become a servant. Humbled himself. Become a servant. Empty himself. Become a slave. Live a perfect and righteous life. Behold the glory of his life. How he had a compassionate heart. A humble predisposition towards the weak, the broken. He had a welcoming arms. He was a gentle savior. He is a savior who has an easy yoke and a light burden. Behold the glory of his caring heart. The glory of his servant heart. The glory of his complete, perfect, absolute obedience to the Father's will. Behold the glory of his prayer life. John 17. Behold the glory of the suffering servant. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Christ who was pierced and crushed. He was a sorrowful and grief stricken servant. He was silent in his oppression. He was afflicted. Behold his death on that cross. Wearing a crown of thorns upon on his head. And nail pierced his hands. And behold the victorious servant who rose up from the grave. Behold his glory. That's what you and I need. We need to be face to face with the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have that privilege. Why? Because again of the new covenant that we are under. Behold him in his future coming on a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire and on his head are many diadems. He has a name that no one knows, but he himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. On his, hope, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is your Savior. This is Christ. And we are called upon under the new covenant, under the, new, under the superior glory of the new covenant to behold this Christ. To behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. The greatest need of the church today is to behold the glory of Christ, to behold the totality of who he is, to behold him in his attributes, in his works, in what he has accomplished for your own sake. Behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
And do you know why we don't? There are many reasons why we don't behold the glory of Christ. There are so many impediments in the way. You know, one of them is this. You have men today in priestly robe wearing funny hats and they hinder, they hinder the bride of Christ from beholding the glory of Christ. And let me say this to you. That is a great sin. That is a great sin to hinder the church of Jesus Christ from beholding the glory of the one that saved her. That's why there is great condemnation on false teachers. Whilst the bride of Christ is crying out, Sir, we would see Jesus. We're giving them, giving the church nonsense. And that grieves my heart because the bride of Christ is in a bad state. Insecure, broken, living in shame, in guilt, confused about her identity. Squirming in her sin, depressed, suicidal. The church is broken. And one of the reasons is because she is not beholding the glory of Christ. She's being hindered from seeing the glory of Christ. And we need some Apostle Paul who have the boldness and the courage to go out there and say, Behold, behold the glory of the bridegroom. Behold the face of your Savior. Behold and have spiritual sight of Christ. Behold the bridegroom. Behold the bridegroom. Now, I'm not preaching this to just get you excited. How should we then live is the question. In light of the superior glory of the new covenant under which you and I are. In light of the fact of the privileges that we have under this new covenant. In light of the fact that we have the privilege to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. How should we then live? How should we then live? Well, we must behold the glory of Christ through the means of grace that God has given to us. God has given us his word. He has given us the inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, true word of God. And in this word, when you open it, don't just open it because you want something for yourself. Open the word and behold the glory of Christ. When you pray, pray knowing consciously that you are in the presence of a glorious God. That your prayer is not simply uttering certain requests to God, but instead it is a conscious communion with your Savior. And as you do so, you behold His glory. And when you behold the glory of Christ, the scripture says, you shall become, you shall be transformed into that very image. You want to grow in Christ-likeness? Behold the glory of Christ. Use the means of grace that God has given to you and behold the glory of Christ. Because when you and I, we see that which is glorious, we shall change. I like to give the example of, you know, children. They, you know, there was this cartoon that came out called Frozen. Some of you know that. 
because it was very famous. Even adults know that. And you have these children, these girls especially, they would look, they would behold at this princess or the snowman, talking snowman. They would behold at this princess, behold and behold and behold and behold and look to the point when, when it's their birthday, guess what they want? They want a frozen theme for their birthday party. The same with the boys. They've beheld Spider-Man, Superman, or whatever. And all of a sudden, they want to dress like them. Why? Because they have gazed their attention upon those superheroes. They have looked upon these superheroes, and in their eyes is glorious. But what about us? We're not called to behold a superhero or a man. We are called to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we behold the face of Christ, we shall be transformed into his image. And eventually in the future, when we shall see him face to face, we shall finally be like him. We have the privilege of beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. And what are you doing about that is the question. What are you doing about that? We need to thank the Lord for the new covenant. We need to thank the Lord that we are not under the old, but the new covenant. We thank the Lord for the superior glory of the new covenant. We thank the Lord that we can now have the boldness to go and proclaim this message. And we thank the Lord also for the transformative effect that this glory that is in this new covenant has on us in order to transform us into the image of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we come before you this evening and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is clear, your word is sufficient, your word is authoritative, your word is infallible, it is inerrant. And your word is effective as well to change. And Father, we come before you and we ask you to forgive us of, of the many times when we have not beheld the glory of your Son. We've instead beheld the glory of something else in this world, something that is temporal and transient. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to behold your glory in the face of your Son. I do pray for my brothers and sisters this evening. I ask that you would please, please take away anything that is hindering us from beholding your glory. Take away all the impediments, all the hindrances. Take them away and stamp the glory of Christ upon our eyeballs. And help us to live this Christian life constantly, continually, perpetually beholding the glory of Christ. Help us in that. Forgive us, Lord, for the many times where we, where we thought that our Bible reading, that our Bible reading and our praying would somehow make you happy about us. We are grateful. We are grateful that we find our joy, our joy, our satisfaction in the glory of Christ. So I ask and pray this evening that you would imprint the realities of these truths into our minds such that it would affect our emotions, 
such that it would affect our desires, such that it would affect our will and cause us to live a Christian life that is worthy of the calling we wish you have called us. Oh, help us, Father, to live every single day of, your, of our lives beholding the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to that end that we pray so that Christ might be seen as supreme, preeminent, and all-glorious.